This is Wilderness and Wildlife, presented by the Gallatin Wildlife Association in Bozeman, Montana. This is a half-hour program featuring commentaries and interviews with wildlife and wilderness advocates relating to the unique natural environment that we enjoy in the wildlands of the West and across America. I'm your host, Jay Shell. Our guest today is Joan Maloof, Executive Director of Old Growth Forest Network, located in Easton and Salisbury, Maryland. Joan is Professor Emeritus at Salisbury University in Salisbury, Maryland. She founded the Old Growth Forest Network to preserve, protect, and promote the country's few remaining stands of old growth forests. She spends her time lecturing, writing, visiting forests, assisting private landowners, and supporting local groups trying to protect community forests from development. Joan is the author of numerous publications and of five books about old growth forests, the most recent of which is Treepedia, a compendium of arboreal lore available from Amazon and other fine booksellers. So welcome, Joan. I'm glad to be talking to you today. Thank you very much for having me. I'm glad to talk to you, too. So uh, why and when did you found uh, the Old Growth Forest Network? What was your objective? I, I founded it 10 years ago in 2012, and it's grew out of research that I was doing for my book called Among the Ancients. I was traveling around to visit old-growth forests in the east, and I realized that there were so few left, only 1%, and that there was no group making sure that we protected these last of the forests and didn't lose any more. So I thought, we need an organization that will preserve what remains allow some of the older second-growth forests to recover and to let people know where these older forests are so they can experience them. So uh, you're a professor emeritus at Salisbury University. Did you teach a related course, courses there? Yes, I taught biology and environmental studies and also plant taxonomy. I've always been a plant person. And uh, what resources did you have to get the forest network started? Well, if you look at it on paper, I really didn't have many resources to get it started. I had a Ph.D. in ecology, and that helped. So when I talked about what was going on in the forest, people believed that I knew something about it. And I had kind of an activist bent to my personality. So when I saw that something wasn't right and something could be done, I was the kind of person to want to do it. And besides those two things, I really didn't have much else to um, go on. I didn't have a large sum of money to start the organization. I didn't have a lot of experience in nonprofit forming, Mm. but I knew someone that could do the paperwork, an attorney for a 501c3, and got that started because I knew if I were going to have this organization and put my all into it, that I would need to retire from my teaching job. I'd need to have a little salary, some financial help to do it. So I would need to have a 501c3 organization so we could ask for donations. And that has all worked very beautifully, and we've gotten a lot of support from people to allow me to do the work that I do. Did you just get individual contributions, or did you find some foundation money? 
Mostly we get individual donations, mm-hmm. but there are some small family foundations that have been very, very helpful to us as well. Um, we don't get any government money at all or any of the larger grants, mm-hmm. just, um, in, mostly individuals. So if you acquired some staff people over time or some associates? Yes, it's been a beautiful growth. So the first year, I didn't get any salary at all because we were just growing and founding the organization and really just seeing if it was even going to be viable. Mm -hmm. And then when it looked like it was really important and people wanted to support it, for the second year, I got a part-time salary. And then by the third year, I could take a full-time salary and hire an assistant part-time. And from there, we've been growing and growing. And now we have um, three full-time people. And we also have more part-time people across the country. We call them regional network managers. (laughs) But your your full-time staff is right there in Maryland? No, we're... We don't have one central office. We are all spread out uh-huh. across the country. Uh-huh. In fact, one of our full-time staff members just this week moved from Bozeman, Montana to Seattle. Oh, really? Yeah. And another of our full-time staff members lives in Atlanta. Um, I live in Maryland. Uh-huh. Well, let's get back to uh, the forest. <laughs> How do you define mm-hmm. a growth forest? Well, an old-growth forest is one that's um, just been left alone to do its own thing. So it has not been cut down, in, or, you know, if it has, we can't tell because it's recovered over so long of time. Mm-hmm. So um, that's how I define an old-growth forest. Sometimes they're called primary forests. Sometimes they're called, they, in the old days, they were called virgin forests or just ancient forests but a forest that has just formed on its own and is the trees have been able to live their maximum lifespans and maybe even die and complete the whole cycle of life with multi-generations of trees growing up in that forest. So it's a, uh, it's a it's, I think on your website you indicate it's an undisturbed, an undisturbed forest. Uh, what's what's the meaning of undisturbed? Does that mean that nobody has tried uh, around the forest? A uh, polite way of saying undisturbed is a kind of a polite way of saying it hasn't been logged. Uh, I see. <laughs> so there's no there's no one final scientific definition for old growth forest because uh-huh. there's so many different forest types. So you just look at what would that land grow if it's left alone. And if it's left alone long enough or undisturbed long enough, that's what would be there, an old growth forest. So if it has experienced fire or it has had a uh, forest disease uh, run through it, is that disturbed or not disturbed? Well, you know, those are fine lines. So I think there's, always all kinds of different diseases going through a forest, so I wouldn't call that disturbed. Mm -hmm. Um, 
even even a fire, I mean, those are all natural disturbances. Right. So we often joke that more paper has been used trying to define old-growth forest than actually exists <laughs> in the wood fiber of old-growth forests today. Right. So it's more like you, you kind of know it when you see it, um, if it has that structure of a forest that's been left alone, and if the you can core some trees and find out the ages, and if they're very old, then you're probably in an old-growth forest. So I think your website indicates that uh, you've established a national network of old-growth forests. What constitutes the network? So the, our vision of the old-growth forest network is to make sure there's at least one forest in each county of the U.S. where the forest can grow, <laughs> that will not be cut again, so protected from logging and open to the public and relatively accessible. That way, people can visit these forests and see what they're like and build a relationship with them. Now, not every county has an original old-growth forest left, so therefore, in some counties, we look for the oldest forest there. It might be one that was cut 80 years ago or 100 years ago, and we make sure that that forest won't be cut again, that it's protected so that anyone can visit it. People can take their children to see it, and as their children grow, they can take their children to see this forest. So often we hear these stories about people that go to visit a beautiful forest and then they come back again and it's been cut down. We just wanted to make sure that there's at least one place that is going to be preserved in each county. And if we do it county by county, then no one will be too far from one of these forests that are protected. And we, and it can be sometimes difficult to find out where is the oldest forest in my community. If I want to see an old-growth forest, where should I go? Well, our website, oldgrowthforest.net, makes that easy for people. They can look up their state, and they can see where the forests are that we've already put into the network. Now, our goal is 2,300 of these forests because that's how many counties can support forest growth. But we're just getting started, even though we're 10 years old now. Mm -hmm. um, this is a, a lofty goal. We've been working hard, and right now we have 158 forests in the network in 28 different states. Wow. Well, are these uh, forests mostly found in uh, national, state, and uh, county parks that they will, you can be sure that they'll be preserved forever? Well, the interesting thing about the project, doing it by county, is that we look at all ownerships equally. So, it could be a national forest, it could be a state park, it could be a county park, it could be owned by a land trust or an other forest-saving organization. We even have camp forests in the network. So we just look throughout the county and we get a volunteer to help us with this in each county to see what is the oldest, most accessible forest in that county. Mm -hmm. And once we identify that forest, we approach the owners and we ask them if that forest is indeed protected. And 
some of the forests that you would expect would be protected, like some state parks, mm-hmm. are not formally protected. Oh. So then if they're not protected, we work with the ownership to try and get them protected. I noticed on your website map that uh, there are none in the Rocky Mountain states or in north or northern Wisconsin and Minnesota. Uh, what are the prospects for those areas? Well, the prospects are great, Jay. Ah. <laughs> in fact, we're very soon, within the next um, couple weeks, we're going to dedicate a forest, um, our second forest in Wisconsin. That's ah. um, Plum Lake um, Hemlock Grove. And we're also, sometime in the next couple months, going to dedicate the Lost 40 um, forest into the network. In Colorado, we only have one so far. Now, I know that there are so many beautiful growth forests in Colorado and Montana and these other western states. Mm-hmm. So then it's like, why don't we have more forests there? Mm-hmm. And the reason is because mostly how we've grown is organically. So I will get an invitation usually to talk about my books or to talk about the Old Growth Forest Network with some organization. And then from there, I'll get volunteers that will help in these different counties. We call them county coordinators. Mm -hmm. And that county coordinator is out there looking for that forest, and then we dedicate the forest. So I just haven't had that many speaking opportunities in the West yet to be able to really build this group of supporters and volunteers. But if anyone is listening to this and would like to invite me out there to um, give a talk to, about my books or the Old Growth Forest Network. Um, that would help us out. We've already, we've also got, um, we hired a regional network manager person in the Midwest who's covering Minnesota and Wisconsin and Michigan. And that was because we had a supporter that said, why aren't you growing more quickly? You know, we have beautiful forests up here. And we said, oh, we can only do so much. And so he donated a substantial sum so that we could hire a part-time person to be able to have more dedications there. So that's why these new dedications are happening. So it's just this beautiful organic growth. It doesn't say anything about the quality of the forest. So if an old-growth forest is located in a state or national park or in a wilderness area or wildlife refuge, do you go forward to to make that a priority if it's identified, or do you just assume that, well, it's already protected and don't have to worry about it? No, if there is. So, for instance, Sequoia National Park, right? No-brainer. Right. <laughs> Some of the, the largest trees on the planet I mean, in that county, that would absolutely be the best, most accessible, protected from logging forest in that county. And so then we identify that one very easily. And then we would approach the supervisor of that national park and say, explain what the network is and that we'd like to include that forest in the old growth network to represent that county and um, I'm happy to say I got to go to Sequoia National Park a couple years ago to uh-huh. dedicate that one. And there's some other no-brainers like that around the country. Um, another one is 
Congaree National Park. It's our one of our newest national parks in South Carolina. Mm-hmm. Beautiful eastern old growth. That one went into the network. Um, also the bristlecone pines up in California. But once you tick off the kind of no-brainers, then we're also, you know, filling in the blanks little by little to get those smaller forests and in other counties in the network as well. Uh-huh. So uh, on your website you indicate uh, the, an argument that uh, there's a human health benefit from an old-growth forest. Uh, what's that? Well, we are learning more and more about the health benefits of forests in general. Mm-hmm. So there's not a lot of science that separates the old growth versus the regular forest. So we just we'll talk about it all as forests as a whole. And it was really the Japanese that started with this research, and they found that. Spending time in a forest lowers your blood pressure. Mm. It also lowers your blood sugar levels. Mm. It lowers your stress hormone levels. That's cortisol. Um, it. We're finding out more and more. It's like the more we look, the more health benefits there are. For people that have ADHD, they need less medication. If they spend time in the forest, it helps them focus. People need fewer antidepressants the more time they spend in the forest. And the forest can actually increase your immunity. So those are just some of the things we've learned so far. Oh, and I left out mental health, other mental health benefits as well. So more and more we're finding that spending time in the forest is healthy for humans, and that doesn't even count the healthy air that you breathe when you're in the forest or the activity levels. So uh, an, an old-growth forest also acts, uh, obviously, as a carbon sink. Uh, you mentioned mm-hmm. seven points on your website. Yes, so um, this is more new science as well. People used to think, oh, as trees get older, they slow down, and they're not taking in as much carbon dioxide from the atmosphere when they photosynthesize. But what we're learning now is that trees continue to grow for as long as they live, and the older trees actually accumulate more carbon every year than the young trees. Right. So the big old trees are taking a lot more carbon out of the atmosphere. Makes mm-hmm. sense, right? They just right. have a lot more branches to put it into, a lot more leaves to put it into, but we didn't have the science to back that up before. And old-growth forests in general, not just individual trees, but those forests contain much more carbon in them because the trees tend to be larger, and they also store a lot of that carbon down in the soil. And then they... We're finding out now that they shared the carbon through their fungal network systems, through the mycorrhizae, from tree to tree. So they've got this whole carbon trading thing uh-huh. going on. And that um, the big trees are really critical for carbon storage. And when you log those forests, a lot of that carbon, the majority of the carbon, gets released back into the atmosphere from the soil, from the branches, from the little leaves. Mm-hmm. As, and the leaves as well. 
So they're very important for that reason. You know, we see the carbon levels increasing in the atmosphere, and many of us feel that our federal forests, especially the national forests, should be left to grow as carbon storage banks instead of continuing to be cut for just the small amount of wood fiber that they give us. Only 5% of our domestic wood supply comes from national forests. Right. And then you also indicate uh, there are relationships in old growth forest shares with animals and other forest members, fungi, so on. Oh, yes. To me, the biodiversity is even more important than the carbon benefits because we're in a biodiversity crisis as we chip away at more and more of the natural spaces on the planet. All the other living things we share the planet with are having trouble. You know, we hear about the birds. We hear about the insects, um, you know, of, of course, the mammals. And so these old-growth forests are places where many of these organisms can find shelter and food, and they can interrelate with each other over time and support each other and feed on each other. Right. So the older the forest gets, the more biodiverse it is, the more fungi will live there, the more salamanders will live there, the more snails will live there, the more moss species will live there. You know, you can name just about any right. organism, and it benefits from these forests being left alone. Uh, do you have signage that you put up when uh, an old growth forest is established, or does yes, we? So once we go through this process and we find the best forest in the network and we talk to the owners and we make sure it's protected, then we like to have a we call it a dedication <clears throat> ceremony, and one of us will go to that forest and the management of that forest will be there and we'll all we'll talk about the forest and then we hand to them this metal plaque it's about nine and a half by eleven mm -hmm. and that they can put up wherever they want to that says that that forest is in the old growth forest network uh -huh. and then we generally take a hike together through the forest uh -huh. so that's one of my most favorite parts of the work I do I get to see all these beautiful forests and this week, in fact, I'm going up to Chautauqua County, New York, to mm -hmm. dedicate the College Lodge Forest oh, nice. there into the Old Growth Forest Network. Oh, oh neat. So um, President Biden recently came out to Seattle and announced an executive order uh, regarding saving uh, old growth forests. Uh, I assume uh, you're obviously familiar with it, have some thoughts about it. Oh, yes, we were very happy about that because the Old Growth Forest Network is part of a coalition of other forest-saving organizations. Some of them are regional, and um, we all got together and said, you know, yes, we should be preserving these federal forests for climate. And so we lobbied the federal government and wrote letters to them asking President President Biden to do this. So we were so happy when he actually paid attention and came out with this executive order. Now, the executive order, really what it does at this point is says within the next year, 
they're going to survey for old growth forests on the federal land so they know where it is and they know how much is there. And then the next step will be to protect it. So it doesn't come out yet and say it's all protected. I guess we have to figure out where it is first. You'd think we would have known that on our own federal lands, but we don't. Right. So um, we're paying close attention to that, and we feel like it's a step in the right direction. Do you have any sense of this uh, or any, any feelings about this transferring into being a federal program? Um, I never thought of that really because, I mean, it would be interesting, but for instance, in Maryland, where I live, we have no federal federal forests here. Uh-huh. So I'm working hard to save our public forests here, state forests, uh-huh. and our old growth in the state forests weren't protected. Uh-huh. But this year, we introduced a bill into the Maryland legislature, so now old growth forests and state-owned land are protected. Uh-huh. I just got back from uh, Vancouver Island in Canada where there's a big controversy about cutting old growth forests. Do you have a ca- Canadian counterpart in Canada that works on this issue? The organization I would point to is the Ancient Forest Alliance. Uh-huh. And I actually got to visit some of these forests, these old growth forests up in Canada years ago with uh, Ken Wu, who was one of the founders of the Ancient Forest Alliance, and oh, those trees are so huge. It's just horrifying to think that in this day and age when we've realized how important they are, that they're still being threatened with mm-hmm. logging. There's mm-hmm. so little old growth left on the planet mm-hmm. that just should not be happening. So we definitely support their efforts to protect the forest. And then also, um, there's more activist groups up there. There's a group called the Rainforest Flying Squad. <laughs> Isn't that a great name? Yeah. And uh, they're, they're the people that are doing a lot of the, the campouts at Fairy Creek um, because, you know, all else is failing. <laughs> These trees are still going down. So we, although we are a national organization, the Old Growth Forest Network, and just mm-hmm. concerned with the U.S., we still like to follow what's going on in other places and spread the word about what's happening. Mm-hmm. We're almost out of time, but do you have any of your books you want to talk about? Uh, <laughs> so today I just finished some edits for my revised and expanded edition of Nature's Temples, mm-hmm. and that will be coming out next year, Princeton University Press. And that's the book where I looked at the science of of the biodiversity and of all the other living things that are only found in old growth forests. Uh-huh. So I'm excited that, that will, Nature's Temples will be pre- reprinted. I think my favorite of my books is still my first one, and that's called Teaching the Trees. Uh-huh. And that's the one where I just saw what was happening with these trees falling, and I knew so many organisms depended on these right. forests. And I thought, what can I do? Well, at least I can write about it and tell the stories. And that really got the whole thing started. Well, uh, tell me, what's your website again? How can people look it up? Oldgrowthforest.net. That's not hard to remember. The .net might be a little hard to remember, but (laughs) on the website then you can find 
the forest nearest to you. You can nominate a forest. Oh, okay. I'm hoping you'll do that, Jay. If you have a beautiful forest you know of an old growth, you can volunteer to be one of the county coordinators, and, of course, you can donate to help the cause. Okay, Joan, well, we're out of time, but uh, I want to thank you very much. This has been great. Our guest today has been Joan Maloof, Executive Director of Old Growth Forest Network. And this has been Wilderness and Wildlife, a presentation of the Gallatin Wildlife Association in Bozeman, Montana. To hear more of these half-hour interviews, go online to js-wilderness.com and see additional features of our website. Thanks for listening. I'm your host, Jay Shell. <laughs>